0: This is a Media Lab Podcast. Dave, we have to try and get this guy off of our tail, The perver- our proverbial tails. <laughs> it sounds like I actually have a real tail tape. <laughs> that would be crazy. We've
1: been out here a long time. I mean, I'm not going to ignore the possibility that we are metamorphosizing. Is that a verb?
0: Yeah. We're not xenomorphing or anamorphing, Yet. one might say. Alright, t- take the ship down. Go to that planet. Go to oh, get I to have this the controls? That's over here. No
1: wonder we're lost. Okay, and uh, we have landed.
0: Okay, let's try and hide behind this rock. We still have to record an episode here this week, so. Why is there a
1: rock inside the ship?
0: No, no, no. no we're, we're, the ship is behind <laughs> the rock. Deep and rich fiction, Dave. Deep and rich fiction. <laughs> on a rinky dig spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world, again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm Dave. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then, another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now, we're on our way back to Earth. The Machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film... Escape from the Planet of the Apes.
1: Apes. Apes. Apes.
2: This is Dr. Zero, her loving husband Cornelius, and little Milo. The most dangerous to man is little Milo. Why? The time is 1973. The place is right here on Earth. How did they get here? What is their reception? Welcome, gentlemen, to the United States. Escape. From the Planet of the Apes. Their adventures are completely fresh, completely new. Astonishingly different from what you experienced in Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes. At first, feared and imprisoned. We'll take
0: the female. A big thank you, of course, to our patrons, Green Girl YYC and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. Dave, I have been almost positively vibrating this past week. Gross. And not just because of this guy we're trying to get rid of. I unabashedly love the Apes franchise. I like the old stuff. I like the new stuff. There's just something about this concept that just gets the old neurons firing. And I understand and I get it that more so for the older stuff, like this original five movie series, no one could give a shit about it. It's like just no one gives a shit about it. But I do. And so I want to know what your history with just the apes series as a whole is.
1: Well, the Charlton Heston film is a classic and I've watched Mm -hmm. that uh, several times. I can't remember though, the last time I saw it, I can't remember what year it is, but when I was a young adult, Marky Mark sullied it with uh, the, is that Tim Burton too? It is Tim Burton. Awful. That, why was he famous? Just because of Batman? I guess he made some good Ooh. films for a little Tim bit. Tim Burton made good films He's, in the beginning
0: part of his career. Yeah, he he saw, had like a five movies in a row that I would consider pretty great. Yeah.
1: Ed Wood, Scissorhands, yeah. Beetlejuice, Scissorhands. Yeah. Batman.
0: Batman, the first Batman. I actually even like the second Simon's Batman, to be honest good. with you. Yeah.
1: It just got corny after that. Anyways. Yeah. Um, and then the re reboots are great. I was uh, super into them. But, Mm -hmm. this will offend you, I have never watched the sequels of the 70s films. I don't
0: think most people have, Dave, to be perfectly (laughs) honest. If you look at, like, box office returns and and that sort of thing, it precipitously went down with every sequel. I know that this is going to get into our famous argument of you... Claiming I'm an apologist for everything.
1: Uh, you but are it, an apologist for everything. You just apologize for, this, for being an apologist.
0: <laughs> for, well, for this movie, I will agree with you. I, I almost cannot come at this rationally because I just saw this at the right time. For whatever reason, I'm even pretty sure I saw the Planet of the Apes films before I ever saw the Star Wars films. Oh, wow. So, it, like, these kind of hold that place for me that i think most people revere star wars as and for me it's like the planet of the Apes series because i remember bringing all five of them home renting them all at one time and watching them over a weekend
1: this explains a lot kyle i mean i think i think the listenership's gonna understand your insanity a little better they're like oh he's the a planet of the apes guy yeah
2: i'm scared to be alone in a room with him now
0: i don't know i'm gonna say 13 ish I'm going to guess is when I was, when I watched all of these movies. Let, let
1: me ask you this. You're 13 years old, presumably. What is it about the VHS cover photos that makes mm. you want to take all five of them at once?
0: Uh, I can actually tell you conclusively what it I was. Is because they were joking about it on The Simpsons, and I uh, wanted to understand the of reference. Of course
1: it was Simpsons.
0: And, and I could sing to you the Planet of the Apes musical that they pretend to have Let's do inside it. of that show. You brought it up. <laughs> The only the first part is the funniest part, which is like I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee which is just a great hilarious line.
1: Um How do you not have a Simpsons podcast?
0: I should. But uh the the, the biggest thing is like in that episode, and again, spoiler alert for the original Planet of the Apes movie that is over fifty years old now, they're not on an extra planet. What? They're actually on Earth the entire time. Oh, you bastard so they spoiled they spoiled up. that reveal yeah. in the simpsons episode that they're on earth so i was actually going into the first movie like knowing that that was the case that like that was not a surprise to me and yet that reveal still works yeah. and i think that's just a mark of a great film like even though these even though box art nowadays it spoils the ending of the movie usually because they have the statue of liberty on the front cover of that movie
1: it doesn't matter that's the mark of a good movie it does you can watch it again and again because it doesn't matter yeah.
0: Because it's, so it's not gonna... beholden to the twist. The, the rest of it actually has thematic power
1: as well. Also, you remember when you could smoke cigars on a spaceship? Those are the good old <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> it's like, you can't even do that on a plane now. Like, come on. I've been really thinking about it this past week. And for me, I don't really think of them as films in the, the traditional sense. And I think it's maybe because, and we'll probably get into this in the context setting piece because they got drastically less and less money as they went along to make these movies. I look at the apes films and the apes franchise, the original apes franchise, like I would the twilight zone from the fifties or the original star Trek from the sixties, which is the special effects don't really hold up. Um, I actually think that the makeup, by and large, is actually still pretty impressive. But, you know, like, you know, the mouths don't move 100% like a real mouth to move, but the eyes are really great. There's not a lot of money for, like, set design or anything like that. But I just find that the writing and the themes that they're exploring so fascinating. There's like, I can disregard all the uh, visual stuff that doesn't really hold up anymore and be like, yeah, but what they're talking about, what they're doing is super interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I mean... If we were outside of the deep and rich fiction and I had already watched some of these mm. films, I will say this. Uh, the first thought I had, even with the first film, was a Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. a high budget Star Trek film that actually, the first one anyways, did its best to veer away from campiness. Uh, the second one did not. Uh, but no. I actually kind of liked watching that too. And I think that it's uh, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating series in a fascinating time. And we are seeing some fascinating themes that repeat themselves here in 1971. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. I'm going to break the fiction a little bit, Dave. I've actually watched all five of these films here again this week. Of course you (laughs) have. Just for preparation.
2: What is wrong with you?
0: So to give a little background, this is the first two, because we're only talking about the third one really in depth here today. If we go back to 1968. That's when the original Planet of the Apes comes out. We'll talk a little bit more, again, in context about like the book it was based on and the adep- and the people who helped adapt it. But the film, Planet of the Apes, is actually a really big hit. It, it was uh, about $6 million as a budget, but it would go on to make $33 million in North America alone. So adjusted for inflation, that's $262 million. So it's a big hit. And also critically acclaimed. Like At the time... Was put onto a lot of critics' like year best list. So at the time, huge success financially and critically. Movie stars Charlton Heston. He plays this character named Taylor, who leads this expedition of astronauts who are knowingly leaving behind their loved ones. I don't know if they actually ever say exactly how they're doing, but they're basically going the speed of light for a certain amount of time to a distant planet to see what it looks like two thousand years from when they leave.
1: No, I think roughly. I think the premise is like. They're supposed to be doing some experimental stuff, but because they're traveling at the speed of mm-hmm. light, time is passing differently on their spaceship. Correct. And they have no intent of staying for 2000 years. They were supposed to be at the beginning 700 years just because mm-hmm. of how long it takes to come back Right. Uh, or something like that. And then uh, they uh, fuck it up and they grow beards yeah. in uh, crypto. Beards. So that's- <laughs> A oh, cryo, I mean, not crypto, cryptocurrency. No, cryo.
0: No, they were actually into Bitcoin technology. <laughs> Ethereum, by then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they soon discover this plant that they crash land on. It has this. Uh, pl- it's a planet of, or at least a small village of apes. <laughs> There's the three main ones, right? We have chimpanzees, orangutans, and gorillas who can walk, talk, and are in, or are, are the alpha species of this planet. Humans, on the other hand, can no longer speak, and are hunted for sport or as research experiments. And due to this gunshot blast, Taylor can't speak for a while, but starts this love affair with another human named Nova, who, uh, as a little side note, was the girlfriend of the producer. That's why she's in this movie. Makes sense. He starts to see how like the orangutans specifically pull the strings to keep certain other apes in the dark. The gorillas are kind of the head of the military and chimpanzees are kind of head of science um, or do scientific experiments. So he befriends Cornelius and Zira, these two chimpanzees. They start to uncover what has actually happened. And during a trial, they sentence Taylor to death. But before that can happen, he kidnaps Dr. Zayas, head of research, also one of the orangutans, and has Cornelius and Zira escort him into the Forbidden Zone, which is where they discover this archaeological dig that would seem to prove humans were once much smarter than they seem now, that they were once the dominant species. Shootout happens... Taylor's able to escape with Nova on horseback, and in the final shot, they come across the broken remains of the Statue of Liberty, indicating that this is not an alien planet, but they've been on Earth all along. And he gets in the mud, and he smacks his hand. He's like, damn it, all to the hell. They blew it up. Yeah, some of the great quotables.
1: Also, when yeah. he first... His first line is a human. Said, get your stinking yeah. paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I mean, people still talk about that. Yeah.
0: Excellent. I, I think... Like then in the late 1960s this is obviously this parallel and what i think great science fiction is able to do is within this genre framework science fiction fantasy horror all have the ability to do this which is take a complex topic and maybe make it a bit more palatable than being like directly one for one this is what is happening for things like racism animal abuse war uh, politics war like uh the the youth movement is even kind of touched on a little bit in the in the first yeah, one the protesting uh,
1: yeah <laughs> so good
0: so so there's there's all that wrapped oh, no, up that into was, this and no, that was the
1: second one sorry i mixed them up. second
0: one is more of the youth movement but they they have that one character that is supposed to basically be a hippie chimpanzee son- is essentially what he is yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah Although he, I'm sorry for my language I'm about to say he says fag in it, which I have always found weird well, I
1: actually missed that I was too enwrapped in the tension of the final uh climax gross of this film yeah I missed that sorry
0: it's a great movie I really like it and I yeah, like talking about the ma- makeup again even over fifty years uh, uh, from that mo- it's still great I think it's because of the eyes if their eyes weren't moving yes. I think it'd betray the concept
1: if we uh, if we've already seen the third one, You're absolutely right. (laughs) Because there is a suit that looks disgusting in it. But anyways, yeah, keep going. Exactly, exactly.
0: So yeah, that's a great one. So it's this huge success, which then leads like, should we do a sequel? And they do. They greenlight the sequel Beneath the Planet of the Apes comes out in 1970. So the original one had $6 million as a budget. The second one has two and a half. Like it went drastically down in, in cost And it would go on to make $19 million or about $133 million in inflation or due to inflation. So still, like, it made money. Let's not disregard it, but was not as huge of a hit as what the first one was. Dave, I know you you saw this too. This is perhaps the most bonkers sequel a major (laughs) studio has ever released in the theaters. Like, I cannot get over how wild it would be to pitch this exact movie to a movie studio today there's no way there's no way it would be made
1: uh uh, clearly everybody is taking little tabs of acid this thing just spirals out of control scene by scene and uh, it's fascinating it's weird as fuck
0: (laughs) it's so weird so the unfortunate part about it is like i legitimately think that the first half of the movie is straight bad like it's not good And then it turns this corner to be like, I need... I don't know what else is going to... What's going to happen? What's happening in this movie now? Like, what is this movie? And I wish they just started at the middle portion of the movie and just gone super bonkers the entire way. Like a
1: TV special. Yeah. Or something. If you get to that breaking point at about 40 minutes, you can't turn it off. The first 40 minutes, you could totally turn it off. You're like, I don't... I don't even know why I'm watching this, but... Yeah, no, I agree.
0: And I agree. (laughs) It, It goes... So hard into like the anti-nuclear uh, idea, and is the most nihilistic, pessimistic movie ending of anything I've ever seen. So, to, to give some backstory for those who have never seen this, so is by the way, it's not critically liked at all. Like nobody liked this movie when, when it came out. We have Novan Taylor. Like this starts right where the last one ended. Novin Taylor on still still on horseback, wandering the desert. The desert, earthquakes. Let,
1: let's just mention the desert. The desert has been very cruel to Charlton Heston. At this point,
0: yes, he, he looks like he's actually <laughs> aged 15 years in the two years between these Sorry, movies. Sorry, that's so petty. Uh, the but... background is that Charlton Heston did not want to be in this movie and had to be persuaded to even do like the small cameo oh, that he is doing in this movie. I'm such a
1: small person. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there.
0: I know. But uh, so they're met with like earthquakes and fires and they're like being thrown off course. And then, in perhaps some of the worst CG I have ever seen, uh, he falls through a mountain. Uh. I don't know how else to say it. It's like (laughs) a green screen effect that he just like falls through through a mirage sort of thing. So Nova is by herself. She happens upon a new American astronaut by the name of Brent and she takes him to the Ape Society and it's basically just the first movie for the first 45 minutes. This is done again with a worse Charlton Heston. (laughs) So they re-meet with Cornelius and Zira although Roddy McDowell is not playing Cornelius in this second one but meet the same two apes. Uh, They go on the run. They're trying to escape. All in the same time, we have this kind of new character, General Ursus, the guerrilla captain of the army, who essentially forces Dr. Zayas to bring troops into the Forbidden Zone because they want to go to war with whatever is causing these things to happen out there. That is where Brent and Nova have escaped to. There they discover the ruins of New York's subway system and then eventually discover a race of mutants who can use mind control and illusion. That is what... Why they were seeing the earthquakes and fire before, it was just these illusions that these creatures, people were were throwing up. This race of mutants worship an atomic bomb, which is placed upon the altar of their cathedral. And they use torture and mind control to figure out what Brent knows, uh, which is that there's this approaching ape army. So they tried to ward that army off by showing them visions of burning fire and ape Jesus bleeding from the eyes, nose and mouth. This sounds so stupid when I'm saying it out loud, but that is literally what happens in this movie. Eventually, the army invades the underground layer. Brent meets Taylor. They join in on the fight, and the movie ends. This is how this movie ends. It was released by 20th Century Fox in the year 1970. Both Brent and Taylor are violently gunned down. Taylor drags his, like, bleeding body over to the launch button so that he can push it. The bomb detonates, blows up the entire planet, And then a voiceover says this. In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead. Cut to black, end of movie. Like, holy fucking shit. I can just imagine in 1970 that happens lights come up and what you're just supposed to go back outside well, like it's I'm so sh- depressing i'm sure half, half the theater's already left
1: way. at that point and oh, probably <laughs> probably and the people that are uh, remaining are just sitting there like either they're like that's the dumbest shit i've ever seen or maybe that's i need probably a nap. Yes. yeah or, or there'll be a few of us, like the two of us, who end up at a coffee shop sipping espresso and be like, oh, let's discuss uh, what they really mean by the end of the atomic era. And let's talk about this
0: Jeep you- movie and why it's so <laughs> fucking depressing. I, uh, here's a thing. Maybe you're understanding this more and more as we go through this project, Dave. I just admire big swings. I just like it when they try for something completely different, even if they comp- like totally fail at it. At least I respect the fact that they're trying something different. The second one does not. It's probably not the one that I go back to the most, uh, just because of that first half is such a drag. But that second half, man, is so buck wild that I have to give at least some points for trying something. There,
1: there's like, there's a scene where one of the psychic leaders has uh, hemlocked herself to avoid the oncoming. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's dark, man. This it is goes the, for it. Yeah, this is not. Uh, I mean, as cheese ball and still a star trek tv movie yeah. as it is because of the budget yeah from a plot perspective we're seeing that in 1971 this era where people are just you know like, you know what for the sake of my intellectual freedom as an artist i'm gonna throw so much shit on this screen i'm gonna see who complains the most <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh man
2: i probably shouldn't tell you this but this show is going to end exactly in the same way as that
1: movie.
0: Well, now the Apes franchise is owned by Disney, so I can only imagine it's going to get more and more depressing are they gonna as times be... <laughs> go along.
1: Are they making more? Do you think? Of course. We'll get will. to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So that is where we're at going into 1971 with this third sequel, which uh, I have to question. There's not much you can sequelize when you no. blow up an entire planet.
1: They're all gone. What do you do? Right. <laughs> How are there more movies, people? What could possibly happen?
0: And that is what we'll discover after the break. <laughs> so we're going to go and thank some sponsors here and then when we return, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Mm. I should just point out too that the escape happens within the first 2 seconds of the movie. So it's not like the, the whole
1: <laughs> Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Everybody's got beaded right, right, breath. Right. Remember that phrase? Beaded
0: breath. I do. Kylie Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. What am I talking about today, Dave? Oh.
1: Nobody knows, frankly. I mean, if people have been listening, I think they're keying into the fact that you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about at any time. No
0: one knows. Yeah. I, I can't believe these messages are still coming to our ship all the way out here in space, but... This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. You know what, Dave, it happens. One in four age kids has a vision problem. Yikes. Yet 80% of learning is visual for a child. That's why booking family eye exams with an optometrist helps ensure learning success. You can't detect hidden eye problems, but your optometrist can. Alberta health coverage towards annual eye exams is available until your child's 19th birthday. So book your family's eye exam today at optometrists.ab.ca. The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across the province. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health and vision care to Albertans. Learn more at optometrists.ab.ca.
1: I can't wait. In uh, twelve more years, to be dragging my son to an optometrist when he's nineteen. <laughs> Read the great. chart. Read the chart. Shut up, Dad. <laughs> I'm I'm
0: collecting Ethereum. I don't even need my eyes anymore.
1: NFTs, baby. We
0: now live on a planet of apes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, monkey
0: see, monkey do. Am I right?
1: Oh, Well, that might be racist. So I'm going to speak to you about Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices. Did I say amplify? Making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to High Level Hip Hop. That sounds cool. CGSR presents High Level Hip Hop. It's a deep dive into Edmonton's hip hop scene and the artists helping to shape it. The show takes a unique approach to introducing listeners to the OGs and young bloods of Edmonton's hip-hop scene. The show is aimed at those who love local music, but might not have had a chance to fall in love with the city's surprisingly diverse hip-hop scene. Each episode features an interview with a local artist, plus a fresh track that they recorded at CJSR. Check out episodes with Arlo Maverick, Please Be Nice, and more throughout the season. High Level Hip Hop is produced by CGSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find podcasts at highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm.
0: That is so cool. Uh, I know this is going to be hard to know, Dave. I'm not maybe the most cool and or with it guy in the world. When you said Youngbloods and the other name, is that capital or lowercase like is that a group name or is that what they call young people inside
1: yeah ogs is all you know original gangsters it's usually Uh, referring to people that have been around the industry for a long time no and youngblood's usually talking about new and upcoming artists
0: so i just wanted to make sure i mean i knew that of course i knew that i knew that of course (laughs) i just wanted to make sure that audience knew that that that's what's going on all right let's talk about some apes
1: back to the apes
0: all right, Dave, we have had the opportunity to sit down and watch the third Planet of the Apes movie. I am very curious what you think about this, and you're going to break my heart, so go. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I don't know. I think that this is a piece, I don't know. It's like- A piece of If you, what, m- if you mixed Million Dollar Duck, Dirty oh, Harry, God. right? And uh, Omega Man sure. into a cauldron, and, you know- <laughs>
0: And, and pick the best parts of each out. Is that what you're actually saying? Actually, a
1: little bit. It comes in because you know the setup for me. It's not a million dollar duck like as in bad, but it feels like a yeah. t- almost a comedic TV movie. You know, I agree with that. So they land. uh, The apes come out of the uh, spaceship. They have these really cartoony army officials where it's almost slapstick the way that they're setting up and they yeah. run to the Jeep altogether to make the call to the president. But then we get into the middle section where it becomes sort of a philosophical treatise about civil rights movement and racism mm-hmm. and class warfare and all this kind of stuff in the middle. And then the final act is such a dirty, hairy type of gritty crime thriller. You right. know, it's like a manhunt by an obsessive, crazy uh, German psychopathic uh, scientist. Who needs to murder these two apes and their new child to protect humanity from the oncoming doom in 2,000 years. This man believes that killing, you know, a baby ape is going to save him. Actually, from a zoological thing, monkeys aren't apes, right?
0: Correct, yes. Okay. So... They use them interchangeably throughout this series, which I actually think the new series rectifies it a bit. They have to now because they actually have they have like an actual. You might get time where it's like, you gotta be careful. A monkey is not yeah, an ape. Yeah. but an ape is a mon- like there's it's like one of those. Yeah, there's, weird there's things.
1: there's a branch where it splits splits apart. I can't remember between orangutans gorilla gorillas or apes. I can't remember where orangutans uh, lie, but they are uh, considered the most intelligent. They meta right. meta tool user. Kyle, meta tools. <laughs>
0: I had a band in high school called MetaTool. We were so awesome.
1: <laughs> actually, that, would, that is such a high school band name. I, uh, I actually kind of liked it, uh, to be honest Whoa. with you. I know, Whoa. I know. I am actually...
0: <laughs> Dave, I am actually pretty shocked that you those words just left your mouth talking about. Escape from Planet of the Apes. This feels like such a movie. that's a piece of shit. Hated it from frame one.
1: And then, you know what it is? I think... I mean I texted you on the couch in the first 10 yeah. minutes and I upset you because of that uh million dollar yeah. duck thought. So I really was on this downward trajectory in the first 5 or 10 minutes. I was like there's no way. I mean the premise is so absurd. Uh, it's so dumb. They the escaped setup to this movie is yeah, dumb. They <laughs> escaped in the uh Repaired somehow, this is a uh, race. This new character we have
0: not ever seen before somehow discovered how to do (laughs) flight in the five minutes between when they last saw Zero and Cornelius to the time that the planet blew up. Well, this is the
1: thing one thing we forgot to mention in the setup of the first film is they have basically automatic machine guns, but they don't believe that objects can fly. So there's a strange technological problem. They live in mud huts, but and they use uh, archaic wood cages. But they can also perform lobotomies. It's it's very right. Strange. I mean,
0: this is the, the weird thing about the whole franchise, which is like, yeah, if you start to really pick it the none of it makes sense. I mean, it's an ape movie where apes are now humans. So I like, I get it. But you're right in that fact. Like, the only reason they don't or sorry they, they live in mud huts and don't have transportation or like on horseback all this other stuff it's simply because they didn't want to spend more money to have a technologically advanced society like that is literally the only reason why the first movie is framed that way but like really it's like you have automatic weaponry you have this stuff but you don't have all these other i don't know cultural things in it so there's always been this weird disconnect but I also part of the reason why i kind of like the aesthetic of the first movie so much
1: too yeah i wonder if charlton heston hadn't been running the first film if they'd just use maybe a more primitive type of gun. I mean, guns have existed for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, before like Just like planes. a single shot. Like an almost like a musket like, yeah. or something. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Was, now we're nitpicking. But I think it would have maybe made it too real. It wouldn't have been as fun. But it is kind of stands out. But the reason I bring that up is somehow in the course of, I don't know. I mean, Charlton Heston aged 15 years. But let's say it's two years on the ape planet. A third convenient, uh, what do you call contrivance ape has learned yeah. to assemble a broken spaceship that even the astronauts had foregone as garbage, learned to pilot it, saw the oncoming end of their planet, grabbed Cornelius and Zira, flew it into space, and then... And I tried ta- to
0: make those fancy astronaut uniforms. <laughs> yeah,
1: put on these uniforms, and then they uh, entered a wormhole, presumably, and traveled backwards in time to mm-hmm. 1971 uh, in America. Uh, so if we can skip that... I right. oh, actually,
0: that in actually to, just to do a, a small correction. I actually think it's, it's supposed to be 1973. Ooh, that the they're future. In. They're in the future, sort of.
1: So, uh, <laughs> so that's the part at the beginning where you're like, Which I don't know.
0: Also, I, thi- I, I think the only reason they do that is so that they don't have to explain why Charlton Heston isn't there. Didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because if they're going back in time, he has to have left already. Anyways, so that's beside the point.
1: Um. Yeah, so you have to kind of get over that. I, I Kyled this. I watched the first two films before watching this. I'll send condolences
2: to your friends and family. There's no coming back from that.
1: Which actually sets up an interesting context because uh, you realize uh, from the get-go that they're going to try to do the inversion of what was happening in the first film. Yes. Uh, prob- presumably at the, at the beginning of my mind to show that everything's exactly the same it's just people wear different clothing and everybody's going to hate the newcomers uh also by 71 we're going to get beneath the planet is pretty much the uh godzilla of the anti-nuclear movement of the films but this one like we'll bi-
0: see a godzilla film this <laughs> this season
1: uh i like uh billy jack you know there's yeah. going to be too much 70s wokeness in this and uh they try really hard for social themes. Also, any movie that ends with a shirtless Ricardo Maltabon is going to uh, work in some way. <laughs>
0: That starts at a two point five right there.
1: I don't know what is that about that guy. He's so corny, but he has so much charisma. I know that he just like that, that's oh. the
0: thing he's like he's able to overcome his cheesiness because he has so much something yeah, charisma. <laughs> There's something that exudes from him.
1: You smell the pheromones even through the screen. This is an interesting one. You know the other thing that was million dollar duck, uh, is the two scientists are awful actors. Um I don't know their names. The the female in particular you're, you're talking like the human, the human ones. Yeah, 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 they were so TV movie level acting yeah. that it really takes away uh, from the film. The best part of this movie, surprisingly, is the hyper intelligent president of the United States.
0: Yeah, the American president is great in this. Yeah. Because he, he's given all the the speeches to be like, let's uh, be I don't measured. Know, considerate. Let's, yeah. Like, we have to think about this, measure our response. Science. Here. I
1: know. Right. Diplomacy. Imagine an American president that believed in diplomacy. I mean, this is an right, ide- right. ideal past. This is just not possible. Anymore. Well,
0: yeah, uh, it's 73, oh gosh, I, I can't remember when Nixon actually steps down, yeah. but we're getting close to that time. Or close to just, Carter, maybe? Just Ford, it. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, there's some hope that the leader of the so-called free world uh, actually uh, wants to have a measured approach, and it's only his evil, uh, conniving German scientist advice. Like, why, do, why is there a single science advisor, mm-hmm. anyways, who's going to uh, turn into a sociopath?
0: There's a lot of things I actually really enjoy about this movie, and again, it is... On that level of a original Star Trek Twilight Zone episode Mm -hmm. where it's like you have to kind of know going into this. It's just a bunch of people talking in rooms like that's basically (laughs) what most of this movie is because they didn't have a budget to do anything else. Only two people are in the ape costumes now. uh, And it's just going to be this philosophical argument. Again, I keep going back to this. I just would find it interesting if any huge blockbuster. Like, can you imagine it being something like, you know what, for for the Fast and Furious 10. What we're going to do is it's just going to be Dom. We're going to have Vin Diesel and uh, John Cena, I guess, because they're brothers now. And they're just going to be in a diner on the side of the road talking about family for 90 minutes. And like, I'm kind of down. I want to see what that looks <laughs> like.
1: If just John Cena what could it act. is, Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, but. Uh, like, that would be like the pitch almost nowadays. It's everyone bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like, let's go to space and we're going to do this thing now. I would love it if just one of them tried once to be like, let's like pare everything down and just be the the basic thing that we can do. Again, everyone would hate it but me. <laughs> like, I get that that's why they don't do it. I would just find it so interesting for them to approach it that way.
1: Could you make the argument Mission Impossible 3 was that?
0: Maybe a little bit. I feel like Mission Impossible 2 is like a course correction, but now, like, yeah tom cruise is like
1: yeah.
0: i'm gonna break my foot jumping across from building to building <laughs> it's like Shannon. i'm gonna kill myself by jumping <laughs> from space down to the ground below like he's hell-bent on doing it one thing that cannot be overlooked is that i don't think as a, even as a fan of the series not a single one of the sequels ever gets back to the greatness mm-hmm. i think of the first one uh, because there, there's all, all these other factors i think like, there are some I, in in the very first apes film that are pretty disturbing as we see like dead humans being like you know propped up by their feet hanging up and like as the apes kind of like smile and take a take a picture with the camera by the way they have photography but they can't be flight uh
1: might be tin type
0: <laughs> i always give huge praise to the music in the first planet of the apes film it sounds so weird and off kilter but it fits that so well again none of the other soundtracks i think ever get close to that music of the first one and i think there is this magnetism of charlton heston at that time still that is able to pull through and i don't think any of the sequels up until like a little bit in this one but really not until the fourth one do you have like this dynamic central character that comes back i feel like these movies work best when there's like a rabble rouser who's like fighting the system and i think that's where the second one fails primarily is because it's like oh you're trying so hard to be charlton heston from the first but you're not charlton heston yeah Like when you finally get Charlton Heston back in the movie, like oh no, like that's who we need. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Him and Burt Lancaster were the uh, greatest overactors of all time.
0: (laughs) That's right, that's right. But this one, yeah, has them obviously come to Earth, and then there's this. Inversion of what the storyline is. Although I do have to say that the apes do look at all these innovations like cars and television and all this other stuff, and they like, well, I guess this is what this new planet's like. They they, they take it pretty well, pretty quickly. She, I think she's
1: never heard of wine, but yeah, they're like yeah. in a limousine and uh shuffled around in mm-hmm. tanks. They're like, yeah, that's cool. You know, just take but I a shot. What and...
0: this What this movie does really well is on the script level gives some great speeches to certain characters. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciate is yes, the scientist who eventually becomes. The, the villain the the german guy who i looked at, i was like oh this is where i kind of know him from he was on young and the restless for like 30 something years you watched young like, and the restless my mother did so yeah. i was in the room when it was on well, and i was like oh that's where i know this guy from
1: well, i mean i've always been a shiftless uh no gooder but i did have a days of our Lives space when i was sitting in university by nice. myself yeah one one season it's a weird show
0: <laughs> i like passion it was a uh, it had a witch in a, a live boy doll it was that was a weird show anyways what I really liked about the villain is that as much as he is like I feel as a viewer like really overreacting with like the possibility of their child uh Cornelius and Zira's child growing up to overthrow humanity is that his worldview is actually pretty consistent and I think that that's such an interesting approach to it it's like no I'm just concerned about anything killing off humanity I think we should have the same focus on global warming which have the same focus on pollution of our waters and with this too it's going to end humanity so we should take steps to stop it and i'm like that's actually a pretty interesting villain then that you have there like again going overboard with what your method is you're gonna go kill a child but it's consistent with everything else that he believes in
1: i would also add he is a fascinating character because he's what is he the embodiment ultra rationalism fascist rationalism right. Because initially yeah, yeah, yeah. they were just going to sterilize the apes uh, until they found out they were already pregnant. And then he starts to twist and become a killer. <laughs> right. But there, there's some good social commentary there, too, as far as it goes.
0: Well, uh, well, I also even like, too, this is about things that they bring up is, oh, gosh, now I can't remember what the character says. I just wrote it down in my notes here. But that that interesting thing that we as viewers of entertainment have where we have a more emotional response if someone kills their dog versus if they kill their own brother there's this this concept because zero and cornelius talk about what they have learned in like their history classes or religion classes or something like that that's not made entirely clear but they know that at some point there's a a virus that happens that uh, infects animals and then eventually humans i think is how it works where and they talk about how like it was easy enough for men to kill their own brothers but they couldn't kill their pet dog. And I just find that super fascinating as a concept cuz I think you're probably right. <laughs> in, in in many ways, we sometimes devalue our human lives but like hold dear like uh, animals that we anthropomorphize.
1: Yeah, we uh, we've definitely been doing that. We've been incensed with all the animal cruelty, but all of these films mm-hmm. it feels like people are dying. La- I mean, there's that uh, illusion in film that you have to accept that these things are not actually happening. Otherwise, you can't watch movies. You know, it, I think right. this is something, not to call her out too much, but my wife, Helen, has a problem with it gets too real and she gets very involved and then she has yeah. to turn off TV and films as soon as there's some violence. And I just sit there because I'm broken and I'm like, yeah, kill that fucking guy, murder him. But the, you know, after, I want some discourse about why it happened. So I don't right, watch horror right, right.
0: films. Well, talking about that though, one of my favorite things when we're introduced to that, the villain character, they're having like, like it's interesting that we don't really see like the wider public's reaction to the, well, there's a lot of applauding. literally landing a shape. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> uh, in that
0: very small chamber. So we really only see it from like the government point of view, which is probably two of the movies credit. Like it's really being very focused on how is the Policies, government reacting yep. to this situation, but they're going into like that press conference and they ask the doctor, of like, what do you expect to happen in there? And he goes, fear. And he like just keeps walking in. It's like, oh, very, very interesting. So all this stuff worked for me. All like the on a script level, I think this movie is maybe the best, like from a script verbiage point of view of the entire series is probably the best example is in this movie.
1: I was gonna argue that it's not the best script, but yeah, from um, an from intellectual I'm, I'm not saying like intent. the actual yeah. plot. Yeah. yeah. And I, I if anyone is still listening. I think it would be interesting to hear your reaction that we have been speaking so much about the intellectual uh, intent yeah. of a film called Escape from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> you would think that it's going to be True. some uh, really cheese ball, like uh, people are just shooting each other. But this is, like you said at the beginning, this is you know talking heads discussing in metaphor uh, the crumbling nature of intellectual discourse in the United States. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think it, we can just brush past that It's still goofy. Like this is not like a a masterpiece of cinema. No, I'm not no. going to make that <laughs> argument on this. But I wanted to read out the the president's speech that he has like at the midpoint oh, yeah. in the film, that's a good which one. I think is phenomenal. Mm. But that basically goes into the, to the fact like, listen, what you're saying is yes, true. If this ape leads to the destruction of humanity, that's obviously a bad thing but you cannot conclusively tell me that you know that that's going to happen. Uh, and, and it goes so much further. It's like, listen, I consider it dispassionately as a possibility, but not hysterically as a fact. And I think that's such an important framing of that narrative. It's like, yes, this is a possibility, but I can't let this consume my life because you have not provided me enough evidence to say that this is for sure going to happen.
1: It's a fascinating ethical question we saw it in a minority report. You know, this idea of uh, if we can tell, if we have precogs in that film, Right.
2: My ex-wife was a pretty cog She knew enough not to sign a print up.
1: And I know that you're going to potentially murder someone. Does that mean I can incriminate you before the act has happened? And do mm-hmm. we then subvert a negative outcome, or do we create a new? Ne- you know, uh, and this is something that is—it's interesting that it's brought up here, and it seems to be one of the central, uh, one of many central themes that's driving the scriptwriter to question. You know, the nature of. Crime and hate and uh, warfare and the idea of like what does it mean to do the right thing? It's so weird that we're talking about this in an apes movie. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be possible. But there's a lot. There's a lot underneath here.
0: (laughs) There's a lot underneath here, and so that's how I've always approached the apes films. That there's always something that they're trying to say and communicate. But I actually find like outside of the first one, it's this one and the one that immediately follows it, which is Conquest. Of the planet of the apes i believe i always forget the order of the names (laughs) because they don't follow how you would think they are but uh, conquest actually has a pretty interesting uh, idea of slavery like that is what that movie is about because you see now their son caesar as a as an adult in a very different world of 1991 Hmm. but it it really is that i don't know uh philosophical or thematic stuff that you kind of have to come to them for because these do feel like made for TV movies. Like if you really think about this being released in the theaters at the same time as like duck, you sucker or carnal knowledge, or, um, I'm trying to think of another, Oh, fiddler on the roof or something like that. Like, come on. Like it does not even hold up visually to those films in 1971. It's a B movie. Yeah, it's a B movie.
1: Like they could have called this beneath the planet. There's so much underneath, <laughs> know. you know, there's so much underneath the veil of a ship TV show. I I love that, yeah, you brought up Star Trek and Twilight Zone. That's what this film is. If you're the type of person that wants to watch some visual visual representation as low budge and cheesy as it is, but have to actually think about what they're trying to talk about. This is a good film to watch because as dumb as it can be, (laughs) at the end, you'll be like, oh, it's like Billy Jack. You know, I want to dismiss that film. But, you know, when you finish, you're like, you know... They were trying to do points. something, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's a. And I think the Twilight Zone specifically is on point only because the first movie is in part adapted by Rod Serling. He wrote part of the script. I think a lot of that influence has been carried over through like the rest of the series. It's like, what if this thing happened? Mm-hmm. Well, let's explore that idea. As far as backstory here goes, so Escape from the Planet of the Apes it was released on May twenty first, nineteen seventy one. Uh, it is currently rated six point three on IMDb. It has a sixty nine on Metacritic. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, from 30 critics, it has a 77%. And from 10,000 plus users, it has a 53%. So not exactly well liked by the broader public on Rotten Tomatoes, at least. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray in multiple different releases. You can uh, buy or rent this on iTunes and on YouTube. (laughs) Uh, And then you can also stream this on Disney Plus. So its budget was even smaller than the second one. It went down to $2 million is what the budget was for this movie. It would go on to make $12.3 million. So $82 million. A fairly good return on investment, I would say. The plot description is... The world is shocked by the appearance of three talking chimpanzees who arrived mysteriously in a U.S. spacecraft. They become the toast of society, but one man believes them to be a threat to the human race. It stars Roddy McDowell as Cornelius, Kim Hunter as Zira, Eric Braden as Dr. Otto Haslein, Bradford Dillman as Dr. Lewis Dixon, and William Wyndham as the president. What do you want to say about those actors, Dave?
1: Not A lot. I didn't uh, dig too deep. This week, as usual, Rodney McDowell mm. is interesting. I number one, I didn't know that he met Elizabeth Taylor on a Lassie movie. Elizabeth oh, Taylor was in a Lassie film, and they became <laughs> lifelong friends. Fucking strange, which may be why he was in Cleopatra.
0: He was. He's he started acting pretty young, though. He, he was acting in films in the forties. Yeah, he was
1: a he was a baby model. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, he was yeah he was a child actor in America in uh, Britain. And then he. Wait, moved you to, start
0: as? I started as a baby model, you know.
1: <laughs> and then he moved to America because of the war, the Second World War, uh, and that's one of his first films in America was uh, "Lassie Goes Home," I think. And apparently, mm-hmm. Liz is in that. Uh, and he would have been uh, it's nineteen forty two, so yeah, like 16, 14 or fifteen, or something. Like that.
0: Yeah. He's also in like one of those early films. He's in "How Green Is My Valley," yeah. the movie that won well, Best Picture over top of Citizen Kane, and
1: that's where he meets Maureen O'Hara. Uh, right. And they become lifelong friends. and of course, all of, they all knew each other. Well, that's the thing. And all of that, uh, he's apparently on top of being, of like, his filmography and TVography is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's, he
0: worked. We've actually already seen him this yeah. season, Dave. He was the priest in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> kind of as a wasted role, in my opinion. Well, you but. know
1: what's interesting? In 1971, uh, it, it looks like he has six film credits. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I've never heard of these other ones. Uh, Pretty Maids All in a Row, Terror in the Sky. What a nice girl like you and a taste of evil. I'm surprised you don't know that. Wow. One. Um, he has a Tony, which I didn't, mm-hmm. uh, he was a stage so actor. he was in
0: Camelot. He was in Camelot, the musical. Um,
1: it, Did you hear about his house getting raided? No. <laughs> in 1974, his house was raided by the FBI. The FBI fucking sucks. The FBI raided his home because of rumors that he was bootlegging films because this is before uh, VHS, VH, <laughs> you know, uh, movie rental. So he just had like
0: actual like reels of film yeah so
1: what would happen apparently is studios would destroy uh, their films and negatives so that people couldn't get them after and so he went about purchasing what he could Uh, the one that is listed is he went and found a catalog of Errol Flynn films but Mm. he wasn't trying to sell them which is why he was never charged with anything his story is that he was trying to preserve them on tape so that they wouldn't be lost to time right um, but yeah, apparently they busted the door of his house and seized all Jesus. of his equipment. <laughs> uh, the other thing that's interesting is he's, uh, apparently a very famous portrait photographer because of all his friends that he knew. Uh, he had photographs in Vogue and Life magazine. He was so famous that apparently the Academy's photography department is named after him.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Strange, right? See, I know, I know him a little bit from his like, broadway-ish career because he was in a few different things and a few different musicals that i know about the apes films of course are like the biggest thing i know Roddy mcdowell from though
1: uh, oh do you know what he got his tony for no i don't remember a play called the fighting cock i'm surprised you didn't know <laughs> it's
0: probably about a rooster dave come on get your mind out of the gutter
2: i did a community theater production of the spitting cock we were shut down after one performance
1: oh and the only other thing that's interesting is um he had a part. I don't know what role he played in uh, Adam West's Batman, but he also did voice acting for Batman: The Animated Series. So yeah, there's uh, a Batman. Yeah, this
0: random character. No, I'm not I sure. Think. I don't remember. No, I didn't it was remember. like him and Ed Asner did a bunch of stuff for the animated series. It's interesting. <laughs> but when did he pass away, though?
1: 1994, yeah. 98, Sorry, 98.
0: 98. Yeah, because yeah, I would I would think that he he had still been alive, like Charlton Heston was. Like he would have been in the the reboot of 2001. In, sorry in 2001 when they did the planet of the apes probably everyone else who was alive at that time was put into that film yeah
1: he would have uh likely made a cameo but no he had passed away not just old; he got sick everybody gets sick at the end mm-hmm. but he seemed like a nice guy the only other note that they said is he made no that's actually a note in his biography he made no enemies in hollywood he's known for that
0: <laughs> all right well then there's real there's there is definitely ghosts in that closet (laughs)
1: um yeah so he was the only one i got to he had
0: all the he had all the photographs that's why he
1: made no enemies maybe eh? (laughs) leverage that's how you do it well that's about it i haven't been able to get to anybody else so i'll uh take a back seat here and let you do some more driving kyle
0: well i mean there's not a whole lot to this because this was basically a machine at this point it was a what much like the marvel franchise is very much a Producer-driven series. This was actually kind of the same thing for this one. It was started by Richard Zanuck, this producer at Fox, who in the original Planet of the Apes, this the producer of this movie of of um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes was actually started partway through the second movie. So like they knew that there's going to be a sequel, even though they were blowing up the world even before that finished filming. Which I find it interesting that they still decided to end it that way. Richard Zanuck, the producer, already had helped develop the other sequels and the original. He would, however, be fired from Fox before this movie even started production and replaced by another guy. Uh, but he, again, was originally of the whole Apes franchise. He was the person who actually went off and bought the rights from it because while this movie is written by Paul Dane, it's based on the characters by Pierre Boule or Boule. I I don't know how to pronounce his name. There's properly. an accent on it. Otherwise, it's Boule. Boo. Uh, but he, that guy, uh, Pierre, like, wrote the original Planet of the Apes book in French, I should point out, in the early 60s. And then uh, Zanuck buys the rice to it. No, no studio in Hollywood wanted to make it. But while he was pushing forward the Dr. Doolittle movie, because Richard Zanuck was the producer of that movie, he had a bit of cachet at that point. So he kind of just like, we're going to make this this apes movie before Dr. Doolittle became like the biggest boondoggle in the late 60s. So he was able to greenlight that film, becomes a critical success and makes a bunch of money for Fox. By the way, that original movie wins an honorary Oscar for makeup. Uh, And would be nominated for Best Costume Design and Best Score, which it lost both of. The person who replaces him as producer is this guy by the name of Arthur P. Jacobs. And so he sends Mr. Paul Dane, the writer of this movie, a little telegram that reads, Apes exist, sequel required. Wow. End of telegram. (laughs) Full stop. You got to put a stop. Full stop. (laughs) Yeah. Apes exist. Stop. Sequel required. Stop. Boop, 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 boop. It's great. Please stop. Stop.
1: Actually, no, that's the uh, Morse code. You need the the clicking. <laughs>
0: Dane has no fucking idea what to do because it's like we blew up the planet. Like, what are we, how are we supposed to continue this story? So he calls up the writer of the novel, Pierre Boulle, and he's the one who envisions it. Like, well, why ha- not have this Leonardo da Vinci type character be introduced who could create a spaceship and somehow travel back in time and you know that way the rest of the movie can focus on like satire and comedy about the modern era they hired director don taylor to do this who was attracted to the idea of it being satire because he had started off as this actor back in the 40s and had some fairly high profile roles in the original father of the bride the naked city and stalag 17 but as a director he had Really making his name for comedies. Um, His first one being something called Everything's Ducky, which starred Mickey Rooney and Buddy Hackett. He continued doing a string of comedy films throughout the 60s. And my gut says that probably most people would know him as the director of The Omen 2, but that's me projecting. (laughs) I think that's probably the only movie that I recognize in his entire uh, CV is the sequel to The Omen. Because this was such a low-budget film, it had to be very fast. They cave production six weeks wow. to make this movie. And I think you can kind of tell in some ways that this is like, it was whipped together as, as fast as it could be. Kim Hunter, who plays Zira, says that while she had good feelings making all three, the first three Apes films, uh, she was actually glad to be done with them after this one, uh, especially after this, because she and Roddy McDowell are the only ones dressed up as Apes, and she felt so isolated on set. If you if you don't know like the production stories, I've watched a few documentaries um, in like the Blu-ray bundle that you can buy. Weirdly enough, on that original film, the different ape species separated into three different groups. Naturally, they only t- naturally yeah. and only talked to each other once they were all done up in makeup. And so they like orangutans only talked to orangutans, chimpanzees only talked to chimpanzees, it's the Stanford gorillas experiment. only talked to gorillas. It is yeah. so in this case, like is like regular people just went off by themselves, and her and Roddy were the only two that kind of like hung out together on set. So I can understand why it'd be pretty lonely Uh, and that's what it is like it it was not critically well received at the time of its release it's gotten somewhat better recognition here years later like a reevaluation of sorts but uh i can't help but think dave i don't know how much of the star trek films you've watched but in a way this is this is framed in a similar way as star trek 4 i think it's the voyage home where they come to like modern day san francisco all right yeah, yeah, where they have to save the whales. This is literally what that movie's about. Movie, yep, yeah. uh, it is one of the best ones actually. Dave It's so good. Anyways, that, that sort of reminds me of again using the Star Trek and Twilight Zone examples. It feels like let's examine modern society by casting these chimpanzees and like pull coals at like what modern society finds finds right. But uh, what else would you like to talk about in regards to this movie? I don't know.
1: We've uh, we've gone through it pretty thoroughly. You know, I I guess we'll put the caveat this is not like a good movie in a uh <laughs> filmmaking way yeah right? i agree it's not yeah you brought it up it's not uh and it's not shot in a way that's gonna win an award it's not shot no. yeah
0: it's not shot interestingly it's not really blocked all that well
1: what do you respect is the intelligence or the attempt yeah. at intelligence or the influence underneath it and the social themes and sort of the ideal is I know it's a, a cynical film because we're making a satire of warmongering and uh, and race relationships and all this stuff. But there's a hopefulness in it, too, uh, because, um, you know, you have these cartoonishly good scientists who will do anything. You know, the, the, the inversion of Zero and Cornelius who uh, see... That there is uh, beauty in um, in these two visitors, and that they need to be preserved, essentially.
0: I think I think what also needs to be pointed out here is I've been pretty, like I don't know, <laughs> very positive on this movie. Fanboy, but there are some things that really that don't hold up. They didn't hold up on my first viewing of this when I was a teenager, which is number one. So their their counterpart who comes with them, this Leonardo da Vinci character apparently, <laughs> is killed by a gorilla yep. in. The opposite Sal, so one of those dumb silverback gorillas in a really bad costume. Yeah, <laughs> Like, it's very obviously just a guy in a Halloween ape suit. Yeah,
1: and we're talking about the ice. It's awful. The proportions are yeah. awful. It, it is jarring because, like you said, watching all the, even the first film, there's something great about the costumes that whatever species mm-hmm. they're supposed to represent and albeit
0: they're- They uh, walk differently, they act differently.
1: Yeah. yeah, and they are anthropomorphized, so maybe we connect- You know, um, because they're more human-like. But the gorilla costume, I mean, that's the million-dollar duck feeling. It is so terrible. (laughs) And it acts so weird. They have real animals everywhere. But, you know, it's unsafe at that stage to have a large mammal uh, in captivity. It's terrible. Yeah. And it's such a... sudden no um convenient death it's so weird that whole the setup is just the ca- it's a mess
0: yeah i know like the first 15 minutes is probably the worst part of this movie <laughs> honestly because it's like you have to like do a huge leap of faith yeah. and suspension of disbelief that this even happened in the first place <laughs> yeah. and then like the two uh human actors who aren't great <laughs> Uh, and then the death and it's like okay okay and then they get into like the good stuff after that but it's like you have to kind of get all that stuff out of the way then you get the ricardo Montalban, like the owner of the circus uh which i love like i I, again kind of a convenient plot device that there just happens to be a circus traveling through what's always bugged me because i like the the twist at the end like they're violently murdered they shoot what you think is the baby chimpanzee well it is a baby chimpanzee they they shoot which is which is distressing just to watch that happen then we go back to the circus and we discovered they swapped the babies right so like the i guess quote regular baby chimpanzee has been swapped with the smart t- that can talk baby chimpanzee and so you'll see there's a real chimpanzee that's mouth moves and they just go forward and back forward and back they just roll the film back and forth and it's always bugged me because it's like obviously yes it's super fake that it's speaking mama Mama, and it's just like going back and forth but I think that the effect could have worked in exactly the same way in setup if they didn't have the camera moving up and down because mm. you can then tell it's like super obvious that they're just rolling the, the film back and forth it's like just get a tripod just get a tripod and set it up and do it well
1: they're already doing animation and voiceover work You could mm-hmm. you could figure that out in a different way yeah. but they are trying to drill it into your face that this is Caesar and not the other I mean the setup If you're a nerd who watches a lot of movies, when Zero goes into the cage, they're very deliberate in showing her uh, coming up and formulating this plan. And Mm -hmm. I think all I could think about was, uh, you know, I I was in it so much, Kyle. I was like, the presumption is likely that she's going to meet the circus if they survive and switch the babies back. That doesn't happen because Otto's an asshole and he carries a gun. That scene too, uh, and this is... Again, I don't want people to get this twisted if they haven't seen it. It's not made well, but that scene is so poignant when she's the baby's killed, she's dying, and she just tosses the baby over the side of the boat. Yeah, and everybody's like, "What the fuck is going on?" It's fascinating, you know. It makes it, but yeah, it asks a lot again, of questions of you as a viewer. It's yeah.
0: well, it's doing a lot of things. I I still find it a bit distressing. I don't know. Maybe I just get so invested in the way that Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter portray their characters, where it does feel so sad to watch their child, which who you think is being killed at that m- moment. But then when you think back and know what's even happening, it's like, it's a kind of a smart idea to toss that baby into the water so you can't tell that it's actually not mm-hmm. <laughs> who she's saying it is and then crawls over to her husband and dies on top of him. Like, in many ways, this is just as depressing and pessimistic as what the second movie is, just to make me a more subdued, Uh, away Uh, it's not a whole planet uh, blowing up but it's like an entire race dying
1: presumably um i do like you know when i watched the first one and then the second one i couldn't resist the second one because i read the synopsis and i was like i i I mean there's psychic mutants i just have to see what that means (laughs) yeah i know um it was only in the third one and watching this that i see where the roots of the good remakes come from Yes. And uh, know, They take
0: a lot from it. Yeah.
1: Knowing where that is and remembering that James Franco once had uh, clout as an actor. Right. I also, I think, got drawn into the story for that. Like, So this is the first movie I feel like in 1971, maybe aside from French Connection, something where I've just loved them growing up, that I'm being influenced like you always are by the context of uh, everything before and everything after. So I think one of the things that aids film uh, watching this, if you're going to watch this film but you've never seen any apes movie, you will hate every second of watching sure. this movie. I
0: would, I would probably agree with that. But if you
1: have watched the Heston films or if you've watched, um, I can't remember who directed the, uh, the reboots with, uh, James Franco. And, and those, and those are excellent. Uh,
0: Mark Roman did the last two, but he didn't do the first. The first one
1: was, uh, someone, Oh, shit. It's yeah, the I can't, remember, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Danny Boyle, but it was somebody. No. Those are great movies. And so if you know where that's going, the third one will really be your jam because you'll see yeah. where the roots of this idea if, are. It's it's pretty cool. Pl-
0: yeah. The third and fourth one make an interesting double feature, I think. Uh, the, the fifth one, having rewatched again, doesn't really hold up all that well, I don't think. You can tell like that is now being made for like a million dollars. And it's just like, okay, you have only so much to work with.
1: <laughs> you know, I think this is interesting to you. I mean, you brought up how in the modern era, if you have a film franchise, they just keep throwing more and more money at it. It is fascinating mm-hmm. at this time because all the studios are are collapsing because either because yep. they or whatever the code cultural zeitgeist, who cares that you have a hit in the original Planet of the Apes. And then you just say, you know what? I mean, we're going to make another one. That was good, but can you make it for like a third of the money? I mean, I know I know it's good, but like uh, I don't really have a lot of change right now. But I still want, I still want your product. I still want it, <laughs> and it still made money, right? Why not give it more it money in the third one? But
0: it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild concept that this does not happen in modern filmmaking. No. I think oh well, I should say outside of like horror franchises, which. Usually have the same budget though for each movie. It's not drastically reduced uh, until they start going straight to video, and then who cares at that point? uh If you want to get super nerdy as well, like the New Apes franchise is starting from what they're talking about. Yes, in this at movie about this how spell. like a virus yes. happens, it infects a bunch of animals, and then apes rise up uh, over top of that. But if you go to like Wikipedia pages, like there is essentially two timelines that happen because there's yes, the New Apes franchise is referenced in this movie that does happen. But because they came back in time and told humanity that that was going to happen, it like formed this alternate timeline the that the next two films go through. So they don't necessarily line up 100%. Before we wrap up, though, here's another thing. If you that... can
1: see this on video, at the end, Kyle's face starts to collapse in shame. And he's like, oh, I can't believe I've read this Wikipedia page.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Simipedia <laughs> C- 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 is actually what it's called. Um, the Here's something that only Kyle wants that I just want any one of the apes movies to focus on because i am so fascinated by the fact that they have religion in their society mm. i want an entire movie about ape jesus and i want to know how he he came to be who they who they the like uh pr- like who who founded it why they revere it like who who they pray to it's kind of just dropped in as like a little aside like oh isn't it so funny that apes have religion in the first one and it sort of gets, re- well, actually, gets very much referenced in the second one. That's also part of why the army is going because, like, they want to uphold like <laughs> Ape Christian values. Like, I don't know how else to say it. And the other ones have skirted that issue a little bit, but never fully f- focus on it. I just think it would be a fascinating thing if we're going to do satire, anyways. All these are kind of concerned, but they're always poking at something in modern society. I want them to go full on on religion, and I know that's probably why they don't do it because of the. Pushback and blowback that they would get from it, but it seems like it's just sitting right there. And then he's like, "I just want to, I just want to know more about this."
1: Yeah, if they went there, it'd have to be a European film, probably. I I think that to offend religious people who might happen upon this part of the conversation, you know, religion seems historically, sociologically, to appear uh, in conjunction with uh, the creation of complex societies. Mm Because you need, you know, morality and some social norms. Otherwise, everybody does start killing each other. It would be fascinating, but it would have to be satire too. Because you'd have to pick a religion to trace its origins. I mean, all of them will have some common roots. Kind of start from the same. Right. But the philosophies in each culture are, are, in the end, as we see now today, they all end up in the same place, essentially. But um, it's fun when you study philosophy and history and uh, Mm -hmm. anthropomorphism. and just, uh, I got you. Yeah, human history, the development of our community psyche. And I think that's that's something that in the first one they poke at a little bit. The second one they try, right. but it's just a mess. And, uh, yeah, the bleeding eyes with the the founder, the founder. Um, the founder. Yeah. So, yeah. That, so I want, I, got, I just want
0: founder of the planet of the apes. That's what I want. I want maybe Caesar. Yeah. I, right. Well, maybe. maybe it's Caesar. Um, uh, because spoiler, alert, he dies at the end of the don't, last don't movie. That. That came people, out.
1: people haven't seen it. It's like five or six yeah. years old. No. But that, that's what it's that's am pitching.
0: Founder of the Planet of the Apes. That's your next movie, and we go on a religious cycle of films here for the next few, and just really delve into that. It could make
1: like a good animated series.
0: Do you think there was a crucifixion in ape religion? Well, they <laughs> do happened?
1: the uh, the upside down effigies. So, yeah, that's right. You know, that's
0: right. There is. There it's, it's there. there.
1: Yeah, it's there. We're done here.
0: All right. Well. The machine is concerned about The Angry Lighters so it has asked us to wrap things up. First things first, let's go to Critic's Choice. So, as you might expect, neither Roger Ebert <laughs> or Pauline Kael reviewed this movie when it was respect. released. Okay. Because <laughs> they're like, it's the third age movie. <laughs> I don't have time for that. So these are both more contemporary reviews. Uh, first up is Tony Mastroianni of Cleveland Press, who did not like the movie, and writes... Escape looks more like a made-for-television movie than anything else. The first half, in fact, might pass for a situation comedy in which people are amused at apes who act like humans. And then from 2018, Zaki Hassan, from the website Zaki's Corner, wrote, A story that retains its cynical, hard-edged hallmarks while also packing in a considerable amount of pathos. So I think we've actually talked about both of these things. I think they're both actually true. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, it doesn't look good. And I I can't really say it's a good movie in the classical sense, although I love it. I think that there's a lot of stuff about it that uh, ages well and there's we can have this type of conversation about it.
1: I feel like the age of uh, attention as uh, you know uh, as opposed to information and the concept of Twitter has ruined quotables. These are awful at yeah, 2 overly truncated maybe thoughts i mean I, I didn't learn anything from either of these critics <laughs> whereas no, when we talk the, about uh, pauline kale there's an essay there's always it's always a it's a book oh i know. You know she's great eber too but but you love eber so much you you can always pull out the exact quote to get his uh thought on it
0: i mean this is part of the stuff that i like about film is having the conversation afterwards i know in a way that makes me not mainstream in that regard because i do want to pick it apart and like delve into like the issues and stuff that they're trying to present inside of it and i think that's why i'm learning to love pauline kale is even when i completely disagree with her point of view i understand why she thinks the way that she does Mm -hmm. um and she steps through it and makes me look at it from a different aspect of it like oh no that is an interesting thing to bring up straw dogs is the first american fascist movie
1: (laughs) work of art work of art
0: (laughs) the work of art that's right um
1: Yeah. How fascinating is that? Because we were struggling with the idea. I mean, not to spend too much time on a review we've already passed, but, you know, we're we're struggling with this idea of like, I hate it so much, but it's so watchable. And it's uh, a fascist work of art. Great. That's why. Yeah, she's awesome. Great. I'm a big uh, Pauline Kale fan now. Kale head over here. Kale head. I used to, remember when kale was uh, trending and nobody eats kale anymore? (laughs)
0: Uh, I know kale was like the biggest thing for a I while. ate a lot of kale for a while. Uh just like uh, uh, acai berries was like the biggest thing. Quinoa, I think quinoa's months. back. Quinoa. D- Dave, we also ask this question every episode uh, unless it's an episode where I forget to ask it. But do you think this movie holds up and is it still culturally relevant? I mean,
1: as a movie it doesn't hold up at all. It's uh it's not good. Cultural relevance is interesting, and I think that uh, this is my always my my out which is uh if you're a nerd like us that wants to watch a film and talk about it after this is absolutely culturally relevant because we still struggle largely with these things what makes this movie remotely interesting but if you watch it as a film goer it is not because it's archaic in how it's shot it's archaic in some of the relationships that it portrays i mean they go on a shopping trip and the guy's getting a tailored suit it's it's fucking stupid, right it's
0: which they immediately stop wearing in like the very next scene, which is so weird zero's to me, like
1: gets drunk and talks too much like it's you know there's a lot of tropes that just don't work anymore, so it's you gotta kind of plow through it, but if you can pick up some of these speeches, yeah, like the president and how he talks about a rationalist discourse and not trying to indict people on their reputation alone, those are fascinating ideas that are largely lost in mainstream films these days you know so if you're into that you can watch this movie
2: what a nice way to say watch this if you want to waste your time
0: i'm with you in that I, i would say it's a no yes even though again i really enjoyed this movie for nostalgic reasons and i don't know intellectual reasons but like yes as a film does it hold up no i think it has cultural relevance in another way in that it does influence the new series. Like all the stuff that they're talking about here actually does directly feed into the new trilogy of films. So you can tell that the people who made that really did look at the whole series and like what parts can we pick out and really look at in a new modern context with modern CGI and and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I can't, I mean, we've brought it up, but cultural relevance in that sense, you're totally right. If they can, I mean, more right in this way, not only could they remake it, I mean, Charlie and Chocolate Factory is remade. But this movie worked as a remake, you know? I mean, right. it, it was not revolutionary, but when that film came out, the first... And then the fact that that could spawn two more sequels that are equally engaging means there's something at the core here that we grapple with at a primitive level. Kay?
0: Whoa. Um,
1: so, yeah, it's good. You know,
0: I mean, the, the whole ape series is kind of wild to me, because especially in the 70s, like things popped off a lot, which is like, you have that original in 68... And then you have your four sequels in 70, 71, 72, and 73. By that time, they were getting diminishing returns as far as box office goes. But there is then a live-action television series. It only lasts for about a season, but it stars Roddy McDowell. There is a Saturday morning cartoon that starts airing in 1973. It also only lasts for like 13 episodes or something like that. The Tim Burton film in 2001, which was a remake of the first film, and the... The shocker at the end is that it's Lincoln as an ape sitting on the chair. Remember, Stupid. that's uh, so dumb. Then, as you said, the new trilogy of films that were starting to be made in the early two or the mid two thousands up until whatever that was twenty sixteen I think it was the last one came out somewhere around there. And that's not even mentioning like novels, comic books, Simpsons. and other things right. that have been you know expressed in this series. So the, yeah, the, the core concept I think is just so fascinating to people because there's so much you can use this for as a conduit for satire, for exploring different themes. Because of Disney's acquisition of Fox, the future of the Apes films, it's a little bit up in the air, but as of 2020, there they do have a screenwriter that is apparently working on the fourth film that will, quote-unquote, follow Caesar's legacy. Mm. I don't know what that means. Maybe you're
1: getting your Founders movie.
0: I, I'm hoping it's Ape Jesus. That's all I'm hoping oh. for is Ape Jesus. I don't is think what it is. I don't think
1: Disney's got the uh, cojones to do that.
0: Oh, Thousand percent. That's what I, I'm somewhat disappointed by, because it's like, because I feel that the, the people that were running it, like the Mark Romanek, who's like super into Apes Phantom, like, and he loved being the director of that movie. He's now directing the new Batman film. For anyone who uh, wants to know,
1: Twilight uh, Batman, which, uh,
0: Twilight Batman. That's right. Which I have uh, been reading set uh, reports on. And that is going to be another buck wild movie, apparently, of, of what they're doing. I'm just saying that he, I feel, would like go full on, like, yeah, let's have like a skirting scene and have him crucified and do that. I do not think Disney is going to release a film into theaters that has that imagery in it with apes. Although, I just don't think that's going to happen. I will.
1: I will. I mean, this is not really cra- I mean, they bought Fox and Fox and FX were sort of going the other way and doing a lot of Shock yeah. Valley stuff. So if they keep them separated, maybe they'll push really far on the other end. Maybe they you know? will. Because we'll if you're going to get Aladdin 2 with Guy Ritchie again, <laughs> you got to you gotta counterbalance that.
0: Aladdin 2, Agrabah Boogaloo is actually <laughs> what it's going to be called. It's going to be great. Again, I am the only person who wants to see an ape religion movie, but whatever. I'd watch that. <laughs> That'd be great. Let me have my stuff. Yeah. That is what Dave and I thought about this movie, though. What did you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films that we have watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page at slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar a month. And something you can do for absolutely free is to leave us a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Let's get to the rating of this movie, Dave. How are you choosing to rate this movie?
1: I don't know. You know, like we talk about, the first 10 minutes, it's like a one. It's it's really, it's a slog. It's not good. You know, I'm going to Kyle this. I'm going to go up to like a three. I think that uh, it's not a good movie, but for whatever reason, I am uh, caught up in it (laughs) and I can't get away from what it's trying to do. uh, Sure. And it's making me think a lot. So I had actually I actually had a good time watching it, which is not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be so bad. Um, but
0: uh, yeah <laughs> Well this is going to be so fucking hilarious People are going to get so mad at us We're a bit simpatico in that I also am reading it in relation to Other apes films I'm giving it like just just like I'm giving it actually a 3.5 I just think it's so much better than The second one yeah, second <laughs> I don't know It like kind of veers back yeah. uh, For me so I'm giving it a 3.5 Which means that it's going to average a 3.25 that means it's going to be In our top 10 <laughs> dave pre-revision
1: pre-revision but but okay yeah
0: pre-revision i just want to point that out it is tying currently with dirty harry so do you think this is better or worse than dirty harry how
1: funny that i brought up at the beginning how there's dirty harry sort of this. in this it's only i mean this is a worse movie than dirty harry uh like as a project and as a film and and with its lasting legacy the only reason why i'm not 100 percent putting it under is uh I'd probably watch this first, then watch Dirty Hair again.
0: Yeah. But I would see that. I could see that. This is this is not yeah, I'm not gritting my teeth nah. through the whole thing like I am Dirty Harry. But I do
1: think I mean for the sake of us retaining some piece of reputation that needs to go below Dirty Harry because uh yeah. Dirty Hair is a it's a good film. Like it's shot really cool. You know, Clint is great in it. It's just for me it was way too uh yeah horror movie brutal for me to really get into right. at the end it's a better movie than than uh, than this one
0: i <laughs> would agree with that i think that dirty harry even if we're just going to use like cultural significance yeah. as our rubric i think dirty harry has more cultural cachet now than escape from the planet of the apes does
1: dirty harry taught me about lead so uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is that's right you learned about why everyone was so off their rockers in the early 70s because everyone had lead poisoning dave that means that currently entering the list. Entering the list at the number nine position is Escape from the Planet of the Apes. I want someone to come across (laughs) our list on Letterboxd and lose their shit when they're like, it's above Willy Wonka, it's above Sunday Bloody Sunday, it's above all these other movies. And yes, we rated Escape from the Planet of the Apes at number nine. Asterix.
1: The asterix is... We will be revisiting our scores yes. to get over the initial shock of entering 1971.
0: But uh, Me, Dave, the Machine have had conversations outside of the podcast. There is something we're going to do on our final episode of this season to kind of remake some of this stuff so that it probably falls in line a little bit better. Actually, you know
1: what we should consider? This may or may not be on air. Maybe if we do survive, this and next impending apocalypse is have some palate cleansing films because i think the jump from 1999 to 1971 was pretty severe right and uh it's taking me a while to climatize myself to what right what this era of culture was so i do apologize so you mean you
0: want to go back like you, you were in uh cryogenic stasis and you need a little bit of a like a you need to be gently reanimated back into it you don't want to be like waking up because there's you're, you're drowning as the water rushes in into you yeah and i,
1: I don't want to be the only female who apparently was only on that first ship to uh be impregnated which is really gross uh
0: yeah like <laughs> when you break that down like jesus christ like that is pretty pretty dire if that's the mission
1: but uh she didn't make it because she had a no. uh cracked window and that's how i felt at the beginning of this season was that
0: but well by the way just as a quick aside when I first watched it, like very first time watched Planet of the Apes, it's probably because of, like the bad VHS quality and the bad TV I was on. I thought she had turned into an ape. I thought that mm. that was what that quick shot that was. Would be like, interesting. Oh my god, yeah. they turned into an ape. Not at all what that is, but was, that's what I thought was going layers, on. Layers, man. Can you imagine?
1: Shot. There'd be some layers mm-hmm. there, huh?
0: And so then I was like, is this movie trying to say that as you get older, you become an ape? And no, that's not what this movie is saying. Or is it? uh, Or is it? You do
1: devolve a lot of cognitive functions, so.
0: Well, let's see what we're going to be watching here next week, Dave. I'm just going to push this button. Oh, we are going to watch a Godzilla movie, Dave. Hmm. It's deep in the series, so it's not going to be good
1: <laughs> air quote air quote
0: <laughs> yeah it's not gonna be good but uh, yeah next week we are gonna be watching Godzilla versus Hedera
1: mm. all right I like uh the new Kong one that was good
0: all right Dave this this is what I'm gonna do just take half these diamonds and, and and throw them outside of the ship there quickly
1: uh wait I thought we were out of the ship where's the rock again
0: we hid the <laughs> ship behind the rock right there's a big rock okay <laughs> so just throw, throw those diamonds outside there okay all right now take off go 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 wait i feel like okay i feel like i'm gonna die maybe just blow the planet up as we're going just, just push push that button oh. there that, that destroys the entire planet you
1: know what i forgot to mention yeah like our uh, control here looks like the crystals from uh, superman oh. apparently that's just how spaceships work i never noticed it before
0: also when we go to the bathroom we do have to use shells mm. so that's been really three awkward. shells
1: demolition man nothing
0: that's, that was my reference.
2: My ex-wife was a precog. She knew enough not to sign a prenup.